I just, there's a lot to move forward in the face of a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, if only we had a millennia old tradition of I, wisdom <laughs> that we could draw on from resources to get us through this time of the unknown. <laughs> <laughs> Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashivenu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. I'm so happy to welcome today as my guest, Yoshi Silverstein. Yoshi is the founder and the visionary behind the Mitsui Collective, a new startup that aspires to build resilient communities through multiracial justice and embodied practice. And he also has a lot of experience in the uh, field of Jothi, of Jewish outdoor food, farming, and environmental education. Before uh, founding the Mitsui Collective, he uh, was the director of the Jaffe Fellowship at Chazon, the Jewish Lab for Sustainability. And we have, um, whenever we are together, we have much to talk about. So Yoshi, I'm so happy to be in conversation with you today. Thank you, Rabbi Deborah. It's really wonderful to be on. I'm really excited. And um, when I think back, fondly to, to when we, you know, originally met in person. It was, you know, it's one, it's funny because that was one of the last <laughs> gatherings that, you yeah. know, in person that, that uh, I think a lot of us had. Um, it was, I think, two weeks or something before things started to really, to really shut down. Late, um, fe late February, right. Exactly, exactly. And no, I think um, getting to meet you and then in particular hearing in general about your work, but then about this podcast on Jewish resiliency felt like, um, a match made in heaven, so to speak, or maybe on earth, what have you. Uh, so I am very excited to be on. It's just, a, I, I, we just have so much to talk about. So I'm really excited that you you asked me to join the advisory board of Mitsui, and I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit more about this project that you're really immersed in. We're gonna talk, I think over the course of today, both about your work in general, and we're going to tie it into Shavuot, into the to the holiday that's fast approaching. But let's kind of set the landscape before we dive into a more particular conversation. Great. So, Amixui um, Collective, as you said, is a new startup organization. We um, sort of went into soft launch. I jumped in full time following uh, my time at Hazon. So that was in early February, just in time for a global pandemic to hit. Oh boy! <laughs> um, oh boy! And uh, so that's that's been that's been interesting. Um, but the so that's that's been the what the newest iteration has has looked like, and I'll talk about that. Um, in some ways, though, the sort of vision of Mitsui Collective really goes back a few years. Um, so my background, like you said, is in is in Jaffe, Jewish outdoor food farming and environmental education. Um, and then, of course, um, as you know, lots of folks, I have, I've had other different side hobbies and passions and things that I've done, but I like to say that I've never, I'm not very good at keeping hobbies hobbies because the way my brain works is that as I get into something, I see how it's connected to the other things that I'm interested in. And then I want to figure out a way to, you know, once I get really passionate about something, I want to bring it into just like doing it more often and figuring out how it goes into the work that I'm already doing. And so that thing that was a hobby ultimately makes its way into my work. And so, um, like I said, I have a hard time keeping hobbies, hobbies. So I, um, I started doing CrossFit. This has been about 10 years ago now. Initially, it's just something that I was enjoying that was keeping me just a way to, to stay fit and move and, and you know, move my body. And um, 
but also to, ex, you know, experience community is the, the thing I didn't uh-huh, actually anticipate, uh-huh. but being with folks three, four, five, sometimes six days a week, especially in the morning classes, um, you know, honestly, I was seeing those people more often than almost anybody else in my life. So after several years of doing that, uh, decided to start becoming a coach. And then of course, once I went down that pathway, my brain started just going bing, 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 bing. <laughs> and I started to think initially like, what would a like oh what would a Jewish CrossFit look like just as a uh-huh. thought exercise? It was uh-huh. actually I remember I was driving down to Pennsylvania to do uh, my you know level one certification, um, and it was just a quiet stretch of the road. So I started thinking about that, and then thought about you know oh well so we could have Jewishly inspired workouts, but then it could be this and it could be that, and you know everything started to build in my head um, into the vision. Uh, that's sort of grounded in the idea of what does a Jewish movement practice look like, but then has expanded to think about these other ways in which really think about like, what are the needs that we have as individuals and as communities, not just on an annual or a monthly or a weekly basis, but actually on a daily basis. And what are the ways in which a lot of us are struggling to meet those needs right. and how can, how can we build communities and take Jewish, you know, values and ideas and inspiration to both infuse and augment that practice, but also, and, and to inform what that actually looks like. So really that's the heart of the work that Meets to be Collective does. Um, and the mission, you know, is, which is, which is evolving, but the mission is to build resilient community through embodied Jewish practice and multiracial justice. Um, and so I think it's really thinking like, what does contemporary, both contemporary Jewish practice and modern Jewish community, what can and could and should it look like? Um, and how do we go about building that? It's so, it's so interesting and it's so complicated. I, I mean, um, I have a pretty serious yoga practice and um, at this point it's been about 10 years and my teachers, are um, like they're they are pretty deeply immersed in 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 Hindu texts as well as just in the physical um, the, the physical asanas the physical forms and I have um, really felt like I I I I've one like I've worried about when if the Jewish inspired yoga like is it is it adequate? You know, is there too much syncretism? Is it too watered down? I really appreciate the rigor and the learning of my teachers. I really appreciate that I'm not a Jewish expert in their classes. I'm just a student, you know, so there's, there's that, but yet I'm always trying to take the lessons that I'm learning in yoga and, and apply them in my rabbinate, in my life, in my Jewish values. So where they are distinct and where they are integrated and I absolutely understand your impulse to synthesize. And, and, and in some of the body work, I really, uh, I want to bring it together. And in some times I want to keep them separate, but just have them influence each other. Yeah, meeting. there's, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. I think um, on one level, something that really pushed me to start thinking about what this work looks like, not just as a side thing, but to really move, move into it, was just seeing, you know, whether you're at, um, whether you're at, Jewish retreats and conferences, or you've got your coworkers, or you're just like in all of these different Jewish spaces, both seeing the practices that people were doing, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think there's, there's all sorts of ways you could unpack it, certainly in the space that I've mostly been in of the sort of Jewish nature connection and whatnot. Um, I think there's a there's a lot of natural overlap within interest totally. in movement practice in general, certainly in in yoga, right? Um, and just different sort of relationship to the to the body, um, but it, so I was seeing a lot of interest in that on 
just the individual level. And then seeing, you know, also the ways in which some of those things were being offered, you know, at a Shabbaton weekend retreat or at a conference or, you know, whatnot. First of all, first of all, if it was even offered, because there's been plenty of things where it's not offered at all. But then if it is offered, you know, it was really interesting. I mean, I've, I've, I could not even try to count how many times I've been in some sort of, um, you know, Jewish immersive communal experience. And the Saturday morning options are, you know, your morning service. And maybe there's, maybe there's a couple different options. There's your sort of like traditional or orthodox and then your egalitarian or what, you know, with instruments or, you know, whatever those options are. And then the other alternative option is like yoga. Yeah. Right. Right. And, a, right. And I think it's so interesting. Like on the one hand, I really appreciate that, that the organizers are, you know, I think what they're responding to is noting, knowing that doing whatever form of traditional prayer service in the morning, right? Um, which there's a, a whole spectrum of what traditional means in that context, right? But sort of something that that if you were to walk in, looks more or less like what you expect a Jewish prayer service to look like, um, that that doesn't fit for everybody mm-hmm. and that it's nice to have alternative offerings for folks. So I, I, I think they're, they're responding to that and seeing that, that these things are, are popular. And to me, it also just felt like this missed opportunity to sort of to bridge that gap between what are these wellness practices? um, Like what are the wellness practices and how do we actually, how do we actually engage with those in a Jewish way? And I think there's, um, you know, first of all, I, I like, I fully support folks. Like you said, sometimes you just want to do yoga or do CrossFit or dance or whatever, and you just be happen to be a Jewish person doing that mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Great. Like that's I'm there, obviously like I hope it goes without saying there's nothing wrong with that. And there's an opportunity though to to dig into that and and to sort of like push the practice. So that's 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 one thing that really came to me. Um and I was just seeing that gap in both that the lack of things being offered explored and and also then just seeing the way in which those things are siloed and like here's the one hour out of yeah 40 hours of programming or whatever that are dedicated to an embodied you know yeah. wellness wellness offering but before yeah. you but dive into it just uh, in, in an overview like what would you think about for the compliment for the morning options and how would you interweave embodiment through a, a conference like I know we, we had a big reconstructions convention back in November 2018 and the thing that we were we I think we did a lot of different modalities but the thing that we were most attentive to is that, there, that you could find music at almost any hour of the day you know we, we presume that people were going to want to stop talking and that they were going to either want to raise up their voices in song or, or, or take that in so like what how would you embody uh, what's, you know, what's the, you know, like when we talk about queering Judaism, like how would you jot the eyes, the, you know? Yeah. Um, so in some ways I think this is almost easiest to do on Shabbat or at least, I mean, we literally have the container that's already been set. Um, and so there's different, it's, it's sort of like, we, we already know that Shabbat is, you know, this, you know, the seventh day of the week, it's meant to be this special, holy container that we carve out in time that's distinct from the rest of the week, right? So we know that that at the core of what makes Shabbat special and holy is the way that we make it distinct and different. Um, so, so I think on one level, it's thinking, well, what do we do? Like, how do we spend the other six days of the week? And on one level, you could just be like, 
Shabbat should just look nothing like that, right? I think that's like one way you could like come into sort of a design thinking about Shabbat is how do we make Shabbat look as different from the rest of the week as possible? Um, if I am spending, let's call it 40 hours of the work week, right? A lot of us is actually more, sometimes less, or we add on to it. But if I'm sitting basically either at a desk or on the couch or whatever, I'm spending a lot of my time sitting at 90 degree angles, right? Mm -hmm. So one way to think about it is like Shabbat, maybe we should do anything but sit at 90 degree angles all of Shabbat, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe if you are gathering for your prayer service, you know, maybe you're actually putting a bunch of cushions on the ground. Maybe you have, um, you know, walking services or like, I think, you know, there's a lot of ways that you could play and be creative with it. But I think that would be That's one lovely. thing is just, you know, how do we, how do we not just like replicate it? what we do the rest of the week on Shabbat. I feel really keenly aware of that at this moment in time because we, we are in still in a shelter in place environment. And I, one thing that's been a really interesting thing for me, it, this gives me a lot to think about for my Shabbat practice. On the one hand, I'm so excited by how certain geographic constraints are lifted up from in, in the current environment so that I'm actually going to be zooming into uh, services in Cleveland uh, and services in Montreal. The Reconstructionist Movement is putting on a big tikkun, Leil Shavuot, a big 16 hours of learning for Shavuot. And, and we can do it. We can draw tap teachers from all over the place. But I spend the work week, I spend the week online. Sit, so definitely sitting, definitely at 90 degrees, or actually something less acute than 90 degrees because I'm hunched over on screen the whole time. And so by the time Shabbat comes around, if I'm not actually speaking at another congregation, I want nothing more than to not be online. I mean, I've always tried to step away from uh, from devices on, on Shabbat, uh, but all the more so. So I want the, and even as I'm hungry for people and for community, that's a set. I've also, also been on every, I have a bazillion appointments. So Shabbat is also about not having any appointments. So, and a lot of that is about Definitely about my net, about my nefesh, my shama, my soul, but it's also about my body and giving my body and my eyes a break. But I haven't necessarily thought about centering Shabbat as a as an an embodied, you know, I, I definitely the embodied experience of taste and touch and smell, but like really what it, what it would be like to to center the my body experience over Shabbat over other other expressions of of the, of the Shabbat. Well, why don't, so let's talk actually, like, let's talk about uh, an example of a body, an embodied Jewish practice. And then let's actually move into a conversation about Shavuot. So um, as I, I had jumped in, um, and if you want to pick up with a, an example of an embodied uh, practice that you might yeah. put forward. Yeah. So we had been talking about Jewish, a uh, Jewish movement practice. Um, I think because we define Judaism as a religion, then the the pieces of it that we then oh wait, wait I got to jump in. That's not how Reconstructionists define religion. Judaism. We define Judaism as the evolving religious religious civilization of the Jewish people. So great. So this fits in. Yeah. This fits in. So this fits in perfectly. Okay. So some people, <laughs> right, so. define or right again. You know, this is I'm making some very very sweeping generalizations. But I think you know, if if <laughs> let me put it this way, if we define Judaism only as religion, Great. then the spaces in which we create that we create for Judaism to happen 
our only religious spaces, quote unquote. And so we built these institutions that were modeled in part after other religious buildings, institutions, right? Sort of had the, the 20th century synagogue, blah, blah, blah. Part of what I think about, whether you're talking about yoga or a lot of martial arts practices, dance practices, like that these movement practices didn't come out of a vacuum. They came out of particular cultures with a particular relationship to you know, the community, to the ecology, the place, right? There's a relationship to place. And so you think about like capoeira, right? Which is this amazing mm-hmm. sort of hybrid of martial art and dance. You can't understand capoeira without understanding the history in which it came about, which was really, you know, African slaves in Brazil who turned it into something that looked like dance because they weren't allowed to practice martial arts because of their, you know, their, because of they were slaves and their slave masters didn't let them. So they, so that's how they hid their practice. And if you were to try to do capoeira without that understanding, you're really, really missing the deeper point of the practice, right? And I think um, you are a about the movement practice, we can think yeah, about that yeah. similarly of like, how do we have a legitimate, authentic cultural exchange? That's, mm-hmm. that's the one thing. And then we do, I don't know, like we do what we've always done, which is to go a little bit deeper beneath the surface um, and, and like pull out the underlying tools and technologies and then fuse them with Jewish narrative and metaphor and symbolism and values and something new comes out of that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, and I think with the Jewish movement and sort of embodied practice, we're like, like to me, it feels like we're right on the, we're right on the verge of something really, really interesting of really exploring what does that look like, especially in the world of, of like movement. Um, Because I think it's, it is only like, it's, we've only scratched the surface. um, And and I think there's there's so much there. And I think right now in pockets, we're like, oh, we can do, you know, a CrossFit workout that's inspired by the eight days of Hanukkah, which is fun. Well, maybe de- depending on your de- definition of fun and if you like hard workouts, mm-hmm. right? But like mm-hmm. that could be fun, but that's just scratching the surface, right? That's not that's mm-hmm. not a practice. Mm-hmm. It's not a mm-hmm. movement practice, right? We need to go, we need to go deeper. And I feel like that's where we're sort of, you know, just we're, we're just starting to get into with Mitsui Collective is being part of that conversation of what does this look like? And we've, you know, developed some ideas along the way, but I also definitely don't want to pretend like I have all of the answers because one, I never will. And two, you know, this feels like just the start of what I hope will be a really long journey of yeah. learning and evolution. Yeah. You are a reconstructionist and, and, and uh, without, without fully knowing it, just because a reconstructionist approach like when we talk about civilization, we talk about if there's a commitment to diversity, this recognition that there are a lot of different elements of that makes up the Jewish civilization and a lot of different ways of being Jewish, and that that civilization is both influenced by external civilizations and and also and also can influence them as well, and so that interchange back and forth. And there's a particular. Um, it's not quite a methodology, but like an approach where we can do it in a self-conscious fashion that, that you just articulated so beautifully of, of taking hold and of uh, taking seriously both what we come from and what we're encountering and doing it in a curious and a non-anxious way. Um, and with the recognition that it's not about building walls, that, there, that, 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 we, that the Jewish civilization and even more to the point, the Jewish people will be vitalized by that encounter, will be changed by it probably for the better, probably 
for the better. Um, so let's, uh, because we're, we're, we're starting to wind down. When you and I started planning this conversation, I said to you, what, what, if you had your druthers and could create uh, an embodied practice for Shavuot, what do you think, this experience of revelation, uh, of, uh, of journeying through the desert, newly liberated the Jewish people journey through the desert to Sinai and encounter the divine, record that encounter. From a reconstructionist perspective, we would say, we deeply believe our ancestors had that experience with the divine. And we believe that their record of that experience was filtered through their own human limitations and the cultural context of the time. So what we have in the Torah is both holy and, and, and a record of that encounter and also really limited. So I can't decide whether to ask you to think about it within the constraints of pandemic and sheltering at home or to ask you just to let your brain go and talk about what, what you know, in an ideal world, what it is that you would create. Yeah, fair. <laughs> your, your call. When I think about what a what an embodied Shavuot experience could look like, you know, most um, one of the most traditional ways of doing Shavuot is this tikkun lel Shavuot, this full night practice um, of study and learning and being in community. Uh, and you know, it's a it's a really it's a really fun and really interesting practice. I've been able to do it a hand kind of a handful of times depending on where I was and what was happening. Um, the times that I stayed up through the night, the both what I benefited from and what kept me in it was that at some point, you know, maybe some of the learning sessions started off sort of more focused on, you know, intellectual discussion based sort of what I think of as learning in the head. But at some point, that almost has to move into the body, it has to move into the heart. Because for most of us, if it stays in the head, at some point, we're get our heads will get tired, and we will say, I can't do I got to go to bed. Right. But if we move into a space where it is heart focused, it's maybe we're singing, maybe it's, you know, there's some sort of really deep spiritual element, we're feeling like really connected to the community that we're with. That's the kind of thing that keeps you up and sustains you through the night and said makes you say like, this is worth dealing with the impacts tomorrow and for the next week or whatever it is of being tired, like I'm going to stay through this and then, you know, sunrise hits and maybe, you know, if you've had a, you know, your, your fire going through the night, you know, that, you know, it sort of picks up the lights, you know, the rays of sunshine. I'm now just getting into some ad hoc poetry. So, so <laughs> I think about like, what does that look like in this embodied practice, you know, and, and, and really, but then building off of that. So sure, maybe, you know, I'm not opposed in any way to text study. I love a good text learning session. So maybe it starts off with some of that, but at some point it really moves into just like a fully embodied practice. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe that's singing and dancing, maybe that there's movement, you know, but all these things, you know, I have this dream of, of maybe we're doing it where we start at the base of a mountain and at midnight we start hiking up the mountain so that at sunrise we're at the top of the mountain and we sort of celebrate the revelation, not in the way that is worshiping the sun, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But in a way where we're understanding that, 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 the environment in which we are impacts the experience, right? You know, I mean, I, it's I like, yeah. I, I just have to jump in and tell you that I, I one of the things that I, I had the opportunity to uh, climb Mount Sinai when I, w I was 30, it was a good long while ago. And, um, and we climbed at night, probably because it was very hot, but we climbed at night and we were there for sunrise. And the, the, most transformative talk about like the place and transform the most transforming part of that was um the sky 
the sky. Um, when I remember we would stop on the way up and I would sit, sit and, you know, you're like going up the mountain, you don't really see the sky because you see the mountain in front of you, but we would turn around and sit on, sit on our tushes and, and, and I would take a drink of water and I kept choking on the water because I had never seen so many stars in my life, just never. So as you're, as you're narrating it, I can just remember that experience of just like, of just awe again and again of being in nature and ascending a mountain and the, just the physicality of it and the grandeur and my very smallness. And my very yeah. Smallness. yeah. So for sure, at, you know, at some, at some point, you know, obviously not this year, but at some point we'll do some sort of, you know, Shavuot hike up the mountain. On some level we need to be in, if we want to know what it was like to be in the wilderness, we need to go to the wilderness, right? Yeah, okay, so. it's it's so it's uh, it's so interesting because there's you know there's something about the portability of Judaism, but that doesn't mean that just because we can make Shabbat ev- anywhere that we shouldn't pay attention to where we are. It tees us up to tap into our holiness as people, which then tees us up to recognize the holiness of Shabbat in time. But like this, it starts with the space. Like we, the space really helps to guide that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Thinking about Shavuot this year, where we're not likely, you know, we're not, we're not, we're, we're not, not going to be able, I'm not even going to say we're not likely, we're right. not going to be able to gather, right. like we're close enough, we just know it's not going to happen. Right. Um, we're not going to be able to gather in person, in community. Um, so what, what, do, what do we do with that? Uh, one of the other really core, I'd say sort of values and traditions and, and practices that has made its way into Mitsui Collective's pedagogy is this idea of chavruta. And in the different ways that I've, you know, been able to study movement practice and, and learn from a lot of teachers. Um, a lot of that work, and this comes from folks like Ido Portal, who's a Israeli movement researcher and practitioner and some of his students. Um, and, and also, you know, Kitty Bowman, who I don't think is Jewish, but um, a lot of that work happens, it happens in relationship. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the drills and exercises are literally done in partners with, you know, one person and another. Um, you know, if we're talking about the movement ecology, the Chavruta partner often becomes nature, becomes the, you know, becomes the environment in which we're moving. Uh, so thinking about what does that then mean for Shavuot this year? I mean, I think we have to figure out some way to get into Chavruta and maybe it won't be with another person or maybe it'll be with a very limited number of people, depending on who's in sort of like the circle of people that you're, you know, in, in contact with, with right yeah, now. Yeah. Um, but I think we can think about, um, first of all, what, like, what does it mean to be in Chavruta with ourselves, right? It's sort of like whoever else you might be in Chavruta or go out of Chavruta with in your life, like you will always be in Chavruta with yourself. And so what does it mean to be in partnership with yourself, to be a good Chavruta partner to yourself? And then to sort of use that to, I think in the case of Shavuot, to really explore what is the revelation of Torah that I can tap into this year, in this moment, um, given the you know given the unique circumstances we're in, given the ways in which we are very much, I mean you couldn't ask you couldn't ask for a greater feeling of being in the unknown, right? Like yeah, that yeah. that part of the readiness for Shavuot, I think is we're all right we're all right there. Right, um, right. As I think about what what an embodied Jewish practice for Shavuot looks like this year? Like, those are the questions I'm asking. And I honestly, I don't have anything sort of like fully defined yet, but like, those are the questions I'm asking is sort of what are the practices that would help us to get there? Um, yeah. Are there ways that those can happen virtually? 
right? And use use the you know use the virtual tools. Are there you know is is it live versus you know and and synchronous or is it asynchronous where we you know use the internet to share tools, but then people just take that and do what they do, and then maybe we go back and gather and talk about it later, right? I don't know, but those are the questions I'm asking. Right, I think that that's great, and we have to we have to wind down now. But I think one of the things that I take away from it is that <clears throat> I, I, you know, the reconstructionist movement is doing a, a like a sixteen hour shavuot, sikun leil shavuot. That we'll, we'll be doing that, and, and people can join uh, through Facebook Live. And I think another, in addition to doing that, I mean, one of the takeaways I have from this conversation is I'm also going to make certain I go outside. Uh, because Shavuot, another, the, the, the agricultural gloss of Shavuot is that it's the barley uh, harvest and it's about, it's about, um, it's about communing with nature and, and to remember that it is not only about whatever the study might be, whatever the prayer might be, whatever, in all those modalities, but there's also a way, I love that image taking on nature as my chavuta, um, to really connect my, this is the place I am this year. Uh, it is, you know, I am at my home. I've been here for eight weeks. I am here for the foreseeable future. And to use that as uh, an opportunity to really kind of deepen that connection and, and just to, to, to explore the revelation that can come from that. So that that's a, that's a, that's a gift to me as I start to orient myself toward, toward Shavuot. Um, I want to thank you so much for this conversation, Yoshi. And I want to invite in um, anyone who's interested in being a thought partner with Yoshi on Embodied Jewish Practice to be in touch with him. You can find out more about Mitsui Collective um, on the website mitsuicollective.org. That's M-I-T-S-U-I collective.org. And a link is on, found on the um, uh, show notes at the bottom of the, the website that supports the show. And you know, she's also very involved in a DOT, which is the um, Midwestern Jewish Diversity Collaborative. Uh, so thank you so much for this conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, there's a lot more to talk about, um, but this was really, really fun. Thank you so much for having me. I was so glad that, to, to, for you, that you joined us. Thank you so much. Um, for more information on this topic, as I said, you can look on Hashidenu's website, which is hashidenu.fireside.fm. And you can also look at uh, mitsuicollective.org. You can find more resources on reconstructingjudaism.org and on ritualwell.org. And as always, I'm going to ask if you could subscribe and rate and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you get your podcasts. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman. And you've been listening to Hashi Benu, Jewish Teachings on the Zoom.